we have been in this series walking through the Lord's Prayer. And each week what we're doing is we're pulling out a line in this prayer and we're getting up close and personal with it. Now, here's what happens with this prayer. Here's my experience, and I pray this prayer every day, not in a way that's this formal prayer, but let, letting it saturate in my heart and my mind. And here's what it, I found it does. When you get up close and personal with this prayer, it gets up close and personal with you. And it begins to test you and try you and examine you and then lead you into the way everlasting. And this week, we are going to look at the line, give us this day our daily bread. So here's my question for you. Are you someone who is content? Are you satisfied? Do you have a real rest in you where you just you're just like, I'm good. Do you know or are you restless? Do you lack a contentment? Well, this is what we're jumping into today. And here's what we're going to find that this prayer leads us to dependency on God, which will lead us to trust him. And then will make us people who are content. So let me read to you this prayer that comes from Jesus, known as the Lord's Prayer. And, and by the way, we're having Q&A again today. So if you have questions, make sure you get them to me. Uh, there should be a number on the screen. Get them to me as we're going along so that as soon as I'm done, I'm ready to jump into those questions. Okay? And today might be a day that doesn't have as many questions. So if that's the case and you're like, I don't know if I should ask this, you should. So just ask it. And if it's a weird question, then I just won't answer it, and I'll text you later and answer you privately. All right? So here's our verses. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All right, before we look into our three points, there are three things you need to know about these verses. First, this line, give us this day our daily bread, is supposed to literally, here's how you're supposed to hear it, give us tomorrow's bread today. All the bread that we need for tomorrow, God, give it to us today. So that's the first thing you need to know. Second thing that you need to know about this prayer is we need to ask this question. Is this just about food or is it about shelter? Is it about clothing or does it even go beyond this? Uh, an, an old dead pastor named Martin Luther, he said, this prayer is about the preservation of all of life. Meaning not just food, not just shelter, not just clothing, but everything that you need to like live and then also flourish. He says it's even like this. It's like you even need a society around you that is well governed so that you can have a job. And then that job can help you provide for yourself and your family and maybe your friends and maybe your church if needed. This is also about safety. It's about safety from war, from sickness. I mean, he goes, he says it's all of these things. And then the third thing you need to know is, is this about spiritual bread or is this about physical bread? 
Now, the ancient commentaries on this often talked about this being more of a spiritual bread. Now, today, the commentators are saying, no, this is more actually about a physical bread. So which is it? Is it spiritual or is it physical? And the answer is it's likely both. But this focus seems to be here on the physical bread, like the things that you need in your life and materially. And it's probably not focused so much spiritually because, well, we just did this. We just talked about the glory, like the fullness of who God is being known in your heart and in the world. We've talked about the kingdom of God coming, the will of God coming down, the heavens coming down, and now there's a shift. And here's what it means for you. God cares about even the little things in your life. The big things and the little things. And then fourth thing you need to know about this prayer. And this is the main idea of it, so don't miss this. We have just asked God to bring heaven down to earth. And right after we ask him that, then he says, say this, give us this day our daily bread. Which means what we're praying for is God, we want to be the type of people who bring heaven to earth. So provide for us what we need to be the kind of people who are able to bring heaven into our homes. The kind of people who are able to bring heaven into our community, into our neighborhood, into our churches, into our city, and into our world. This is a really big prayer that includes really tiny things that help bring the kingdom of God. So those are the four things you need to know about this. So here's our first point, dependency. This prayer shows us that we are completely dependent on God with everything. The word for wisdom in the Old Testament is chokmah. And what it means is there's like this invisible creative force that is infused into everything, and God put it there at creation. And what this invisible creative-like force is doing is saying this is generally how the world works. If you sow, you will reap. Generally speaking, if you work hard, you will be successful. So, but this is saying we're absolutely dependent on God for everything at the same time. Okay, so if you're a hardworking type, you're going to be thinking right now, all right, wait, so if I work hard, I will be successful. If I sow, then I will reap. And generally speaking, that's how it works. However, there are other books in the Bible that show it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes you work hard and you're not successful. Sometimes you work hard and you don't seem to have as much food as you want to on the plate. So what's that about? It's, well... It's what, this is, what this is communicating to us is that God has ordered the world to work a certain way. But even so, he's holding everything together. Which means absolutely every single little thing in your life is a provision. It's God giving it to you. It's like this. You know the story of the, the manna that falls down from the heavens? We read about it in our call to worship, the angel's bread, which is a super cool way to talk about manna. Like angel's bread is coming down for humans to eat. Super cool. So this is happening. And the Israelites are out in the wilderness. They have nothing. And they cry out to God, we need some food. And he rains down this manna to them. And what this means for us as we read this prayer is that every single thing that you have in your life is like manna. In other words, it is given to you by God, everything, 100% all of it, which is a pretty significant thing. And, and so when we think about reaping and sowing, what it means is that if you're the hardworking type, you're thinking, well, if I work hard, I'm going to get something. Well, yes, but here's my question to you. Who made you hardworking? 
Have you always been that way? Well, then God's just done that to you. Or maybe you weren't always hardworking, and then you became hardworking. And when you became this hardworking person, how did that happen to you? Well, likely, at some point, you said, man, I need to get my life together. And the reason you said that is because God has orchestrated some events to make you say, you know what, my eyes have been opened, and I need to get my life together. And so who did that to you? Well, God has orchestrated the events to make this happen. And so even, even that, even you being a hard worker, God has done this to you. You're completely dependent upon God for everything. And then also your motive is important in this. So when you're praying this prayer, God, give me the food that I need. Give me everything I need to live a flourishing life. Your motive still has to be so that heaven will come down upon the earth. Now, here I think is often how we pray this prayer. Because we just looked at this earlier. God, I'm going to depend on you. But I'm going to depend on you to give me what I need to build my kingdom. God, I'm going to depend on you, but I'm going to depend on you to give me what I need so I can make my name amazing on the earth. God, I want my will to be done, so I'm going to depend on you to give me what I need so my will can be done. And you keep praying this prayer, and God keeps not answering your prayer. And the reason he's not answering it is because you are asking for something that leads to death. If your motive is, God, my kingdom, your kingdom will crumble. Your kingdom does not last. And so, yes, you're a Christian, and yes, you're saying, God, I'm going to come and depend on you, but your motive is all wrong. And with this wrong motive, it's like this is you paving the road to hell in a way. And so God says, I'm not going to answer your prayer. And you're upset at him, but he's not answering you because he loves you. He doesn't want you to go down that road. So he withholds it for your good. He loves you too much. Even that. This is the manna of God. He's taking care of you. And it's not just all the things that you need physically. There is a spiritual manna to this. And when we think of spiritual manna, we're thinking here of fruit of the Spirit. So love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, self-control. There is a version of all of those things in heaven for you. And the only way you get them is complete dependence upon God. So if you want to be a better husband... You need this. So a complete dependence on God. You want to be a better wife, complete dependence on God. A better parent, a better worker, a better leader, a better entrepreneur, a better business person, a better person or friend in general. You, need the, you are completely dependent on God for all of it. And I'm going to be honest with you. So usually what I have found is the Christian of Christians, and I mean this in a positive way, they have like, reach the heights of maturity on this earth. These people have usually entered into some type of dark night of the soul. They have entered into this place where all hope seems lost. And there, in this place, when all hope seems lost and they have nothing, it's there that they find God. And finally, when they have nothing but God, they realize he is all they need. And they never would have figured it out if he was, until he was all that they had. So the person who has reached this, this heights of dependence upon God has only reached this because God has stripped them of everything until all they had but was him. And then they said, you're enough. You're everything. The longer I've been a pastor, 
the, long, the more I realize I'm in over my head. And I can't do this without God. And then it's brought me to this place where I don't want to do it without God. Like, I have no desire. I'm going to be honest with you. In the past, here's, here's what I did. I said, God, I want to I do this thing with you. But if you let me in the beginning just prove myself and do it alone without you, if you let me just make something awesome so that I could prove to myself that I could do it, so I could prove to the world that I can do it, and then after that, God, then come join me and let's do something great, but I just need to prove something. I have no interest in that anymore. But I wonder, I wonder if we're doing that more often than we realize. I don't want to preach a sermon without God anymore. I don't want to sit down as your pastor and sit down with you and have coffee or whatever and do it with just me and you. I want it to be me, you, and God. I don't want to do it alone. I want to do it with him, completely dependent on him for everything that I do. And then to depend on him, it means you have to trust him more than you trust yourself. Which means sometimes he's going to give you some things and sometimes he's not and you've got to be okay with it because you've got to trust him more than yourself. And you know what that means? There's going to be a bit of a death for you. You're going to have to die to yourself in order to trust him. Die to trusting yourself and live to trusting him. This is our second point. And what I believe this prayer is saying is ask God for everything that you want. Everything. Big things, little things, ask him for everything. But then trust him that he's going to give you what you need. And it's, it's so funny to me. I think we have these things that we want in our life and we see that they're a bit selfish. And so we try to hide them from God and we ask him for other things so we can actually get the thing that we're trying to hide from him that we really want. And it's, so, it's like God doesn't know that, but he does. And so all you've got to do is to say, all right, God, I'm going to be honest with you. This is me. And you throw it all out on the table. You say, here's the things that I want that are good. Here's the things that I want that I'm not so sure are good. Help me make sense of me because I'm confusing myself. And he says, okay, let's look through it all. You want this, and you want this, and you want this. This is not good for you. This is good for you. But you can't really sit down at the table with God like that. And so you pray to him. And the way that you know if you prayed for something good is if he gives it to you. And if he doesn't, that means it wasn't good for you. Because he's a good father. And he loves you more than you love yourself. And he's wise, infinitely wise. So whatever he gives you, you can trust him. you got to let him work it out with you. And, and as you throw it all out on the table, this is the place where you begin to understand the heart of God. And it's the only way to trust him. And the only way to begin to do this is to stop hiding from him your selfish desires and wants and just throw them all out on the table. This is me, God. There's a pastor named J.I. Packer. He's recently passed away. Um, an amazing pastor, amazing teacher, amazing writer, amazing preacher. And when he was little, for Christmas, he asked for a bike. And I imagine the story went something like this. He got down the stairs, turned the corner to see the Christmas tree and to hopefully see his shiny new bike. And instead, he saw a typewriter. And what he says is that this typewriter actually gave him joy for many, many years and is probably be one of the reasons why he became such a great writer is because he was given this typewriter. And so here's what that means for us. God is going to give you what you need for you to live in the purpose that he has made for you. 
And maybe his purpose is different than yours. Well, this is a new kind of wrestling with God. But you have to trust him. And so you throw everything out on the table. And you're like, God, I wanted this. And he's like, yeah, but I want this. And you say, no, God, I want this. And he says, yeah, but this is better for you. And you say, God, I don't believe that that's true. And he says, yeah, but I'm God. And you're like, but yeah, but I want to be. And he's like, but you're not. And like, but can I be? And he says, no, because if you take that road, it is going to be hell for you. So just trust me. But, you know, you can't just trust him. This takes years of wrestling with God, wrestling through doubts, figuring out what all this means. So God gives you not what you want, but what you need. Ask him for everything, but trust in what he gives you. I mean, can you imagine if you got everything you asked for when you were, let's say, 18? Like, if I got everything I asked for when I was 18, I wouldn't be here. I don't know where I would be, but it probably wouldn't be good. He loves you too much to say yes to you, and that's good. So life is learning to trust that God is wiser than you, that he loves you more than you love yourself, and that it's going to take a long time. But finally, after all these years, you'll begin to trust him. And when you do, then you will start having a deep contentment in your life. This is our third point. Contentment means that you are satisfied with whatever it is that you have. Contentment means you are satisfied with whatever it is that you have. Whatever it is, you're just good. You're at rest. You're at peace. Now, this is interesting, and you might be a little confused, because for the last six years, I have been telling you, do not be satisfied with life in this world. And I've been telling you, don't turn your desires down to try to find contentment. Turn them all the way up. And when you do, you will run right past everything this world has to offer you into the arms of God. So what am I saying here? Can you find contentment in this life? And the answer is yes. But the answer is only yes if you understand where you are in the unfolding of God's story. So we know how the story ends. In a beautiful, perfect celestial paradise forever and always eternal pleasure eternal joy forevermore that's what is to come but that's the end of the story and we're in the middle of the story in fact we might be in the part of the story where it's this unfolding of the dark night of the soul the difficult things the suffering and so but can you find contentment yes if you know the end of the story if you know that you have a God, like, come on, you have a God who has come into the world and died to bring you and rip you out of your own death. That's part of the story that you're in. And you know what? He has a ferocious love for you. And there's nothing you can do or not do now to make him love you more or less because of your faith in Christ. Because he suffered, died, bled as a penalty for our sins. But then he gave us his perfect and beautiful record. And he is intent on loving you right into heaven. And he will not stop and he will be relentless in this. And this is the kind of story that you are in. And so you can trust him in the unfolding of this story. And if you know your future hope and you set your eyes on it, it will begin to inhabit today. And as that happens, you'll start to find yourself at rest, content. And, and you'll begin to understand the place in this story that you now are in are the place, is the place where you, we work hard to bring heaven to earth. 
And we're going to go through some trials. We're going to go through some difficulties. We're going to suffer. We're going to lose people we love. We're gonna, people, people are going to reject us. People aren't going to love us like we love them in return. We're going to mess up. We're going to fail at things. This is where we are in the story. But we have a future hope which lifts us up and keeps us going and gives us joy through it all. So then you find contentment. It means you say, okay, God, I trust you. You're good and you're loving. And I have asked you for something and I have sown. And whatever it is that I reap, you gave me and I'm going to trust you. You know, the Ten Commandments, there's so much wisdom in them and I think we miss it. The Ten Commandments is like a sandwich. The, the first bit is about loving God. The last bit is about loving others. But the first commandment, really, I mean, at its core, this is like love God as your highest love. And the last commandment says don't covet. But the positive way to say don't covet is be content. And these two, because it's like a sandwich, the two are intricately connected to each other. And what it means is if you don't have contentment in your life, if you are discontent, it's because you love something more than you love God. And that thing that you love more than God is never going to give you the contentment that you desire because it can't. And, you, and it's like, all right, you're going. <laughs> here's what it looks like, really. You're going to God, who is supposed to be your ultimate love. But you love something more than him. But you're depending on him and you're trusting him. So you go to him depending and trusting him to give you the thing that you love more than him. Do you see that? So you have these heartfelt, passionate prayers. You're getting all into it and you're weeping. You're like, God, why aren't you giving me the thing that I'm asking for? And the reason he's not giving it to you is because you're asking him for something that you love more than him. And whenever you love something more than him, it dis- it's a disordered love and it brings discontentment in your life. This is so, like, the intensity of what we're doing, and yet he still looks at us with grace and love. This is like, this is like my kids doing this to me. Daddy, I, I depend on you and I trust you. And so I want to ask you for something. Can I have a new daddy? That would break my heart. But that's what our prayers are to God. When we love something more than him, this is what the Bible calls idolatry. We're going to God and we're saying, God, I love you. I've been working so hard. Don't you see how good I am? And don't I get a little bit of points with you? Now, I've done all these things. And so, God, here's what I want. And he doesn't give it to you. Because he wants you to discover that he is greater than the thing that you're asking for. And if he gave you the thing that you're asking for, that you love more than him, this is the road again to death. But he is life. And when you discover he is your highest and most ultimate love, you are now loving life itself. And then he surrounds you with it. And so it's so funny. We go to God and we ask him for something that will bring death, and then we're mad at him for not giving us the thing that we're asking for. But he loves you too much. He's not going to do it. And so here's how this ends up playing out in real life. Let's say you lust after success. So you say, God, please make me successful. Or maybe you're not saying that. Maybe you're praying for things that will make you appear to be successful. You say, God, please give me these things. Like we're crying to him like that. Like we want, like you're, I know we're laughing, but for real, like that's what you're doing to God. Like we're, we are weeping for things that aren't good for us. So we ask God for it. 
and he doesn't give it to us because he wants us to discover that he is greater than the success we're chasing after, and he has a whole different version of what success is than what you have. But you know what? He didn't give you what you asked for. So you're a little bitter. So you say, fine. I will take this into my own hands. I will depend on myself and I will trust in hard work. So we begin to work our fingers to the bone. And as we do this, we're getting closer and closer to success. But as you're getting closer to success, you're also getting closer to ruin because what you've left behind is your family who are now emotionally breaking and spiritually they're breaking and then you keep on going and now you're unhealthy like physically and emotionally because you've devoted everything to reaching this success and you're not taking care of yourself well because why because success love you love success most and success doesn't really love you back it just wants you it needs you to give itself more you got to keep feeding it and so it says you don't have time to take care of yourself you don't have tell your family they don't understand you're working hard for them come on you're not working hard for them you're working hard because you want to prove yourself it's all leading to ruin and god is just waiting there saying I love you. Come back. Come back to me. And then finally, you've tasted some success you've been chasing, and it doesn't deliver. And you say, God, I messed up. He said, I know. And it's okay. Come back to me. Let's do this over. And this is like this, this is what repentance is. It's like you're going this way, and then God says this way. And you turn. And it's his kindness that leads you back to him. So here's how we start this prayer. God, give me the things that I need that will make me content. And we end the prayer looking at God saying, you are the one who makes me content. And so do you see the, the, the genius of this prayer? It's like God is inviting us to tell him everything that we want. And, and in our sin, he knows we're going to think that those things will make us content. But then we're with him. We've gone to him. And so he's got us. And then he unveils his glory and he says, ta-da, I'm what you seek. Oh, yes, I remember again. And so the thing you have to answer now is how are you going to do this? How are you finally going to start depending on him? How are you finally going to start trusting him? And how will you find contentment in him? And the answer is by looking at him and who he is and what he's done, because he is the eternal manna. He's the best manna. He is the manna that's come down from heaven, and he is a different kind of manna. He's the perfect and beautiful manna that was broken on the cross. And you know what that means? When he's broken on the cross, it means this. He lost all of his contentment. He was completely dependent on his father. He trusted his father. But in the moment when he is broken, what happens is he has just taken on all of our sins specifically in light of everything we've said, is he's taken all of the things that you have said, God, I love these things more than you, and the, the proof is in our prayers. So let me tell you this. Anytime you sin, it's because you love something more than God in that moment. So he's taken all of our sins and he's worn them on the cross. And then the father withdrew from him. The father left him. He paid our penalty so we'd never have to be left. 
no matter what kind of sins we have. That's why we can pray this prayer with our sins, like showing God, like, God, here I am in all of my sins. And he's like, I'm so glad you came with, to me because my son has already paid for all of this for you. So now we can deal with him together. Beautiful, perfect, genius. It brings you to God every time. And it's not just that. So he doesn't just bear our sins. He enters into death. And there, the fires of hell heat him up, and then he becomes the bread that rises to nourish all the earth, not just spiritually, but physically. Because the future promise of Christianity is that the spiritual and the physical will one day be united as one, married together, and all things will be made right and made new. And we know this because he is called the word made flesh. All the way back at the first creation, there was disorder, there was chaos. And then Jesus ordered the world. He is the word that ordered the world. Well, now we're back in the chaos because of sin. And yet he is risen to begin the process of reordering all the earth until one day all things are good and right and beautiful and perfect. Because he's the good bread. Let's pray. Father, humble us to depend on your son, to trust in him, and to be content with what we have on this earth, knowing that if we have you, Jesus, we have everything. Help us be people that know that that's true, who live that way, and are in awe of what you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at the Grove Church Official, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.